busy living or get busy dying. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Welcome to this week's edition of Taboo Talk with Jay Louder. I am so excited about this week's guest. He's a longtime friend of mine. He's been in ministry for, gosh, I don't know, a couple of decades. Just a, a faithful guy that loves the Lord, has been a true friend to me. Matter of fact, in my early days of ministry, when very few people would give me an opportunity to preach, this man believed in the call on my life and, and gave me opportunities. My good friend, Jerry Royal. Jerry, welcome to the podcast today. Jay, good to be here. Yeah, Jerry and I were just talking. I know a lot of you know that obviously I'm I'm big into hunting and fishing and Jerry just got back from a great trip in Colorado. For those of you that are fishermen, you you would understand what a big deal it is. Jerry landed a 22-inch rainbow and we were just in my office looking at pictures and while I'm extremely happy for him, I'm I'm super jealous. Matter of fact, Jerry, I think not only did you catch a fish, but but Mary caught a nice fish as well. Caught several. That was it. Least a 22 incher, the guy tells me could have been 26, so I won't be a liar. I know it's 22 based on the guy. He said this was in southern Colorado, he said that was the best trout of the season. And I said, Well, it was my first trout ever, so I'll take that. Yeah, I guess you will. I, I was telling Jerry when we were together, of course, I Missy and I were, matter of fact, were trout fishing three weeks ago, but a lot of people fish their whole life and never catch a fish like that. And I was telling Jerry that, man, he ought to get this thing, he ought to get a replica made because chances are he may never catch another one like that I again. I think I'm doing it. Go well, to my wall. Yeah, I don't blame you, man. I'd do it for sure. Well, this week we're going to talk about Sex lives and greed in today's church. And matter of fact, Jerry, earlier today, you may have seen this. I was shocked. It was national news, but there's a bishop out of Brooklyn, New York. I actually got to see the video that's available online. But there's a bishop that during a church service, two guys came in and stole $1 million worth of jewelry that he was wearing. Now, personally, I've never met a preacher that's wearing a $1 million worth of jewelry. But I just thought it was ironic that here today, this was national news. Matter of fact, there's a people, a couple people that criticized him on some social media platforms, and he's, he's suing them for $20 million. But I thought, what is the church coming to? And I thought, it's really a great lead-in to what we're talking about today, What's the church coming to when you have bishops, preachers, pastors, whatever, that are wearing a million dollars worth of jewelry to begin with to preach a Sunday morning sermon? Uh, just absolutely crazy. But anyway, Jerry, what I, I'd be curious, you know, you've been in, how, how many years is it you've been in ministry now? This is 35 years. Wow. Um, and those are, that's been in three different churches. And the last 29 years at current church, Baptist and two other churches as youth pastor and then the last of the 29 years of my current church the last 14 now have been as executive pastor previously I was in student ministry for 20-25 years well I mean you've been in ministry obviously a long yeah. time and you've yeah. filled several different roles and um, no doubt being in ministry as long as you have I mean you're like me. You, you, there's not much that will surprise you anymore. You've yeah. seen a lot of things happen. But I just wonder, in your opinion, it, it seems to me, and I'd be curious if you agree, it seems to me that, and, and there's always been obviously issues in the church because the church is made up of imperfect people. And as the old saying goes, it's kind of a colloquialism, but if you find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll mess it up. And I get that. But it seems to me that here as of late, there have been more indiscretions, whether that be financial, whether that be sexual, it just seems to me that there has been, it's just been more prevalent that we've seen leadership and people in positions of leadership following. Do you agree to that? Well, certainly it's more publicized. There's more access to knowledge today. I don't know, in 35 years of ministry, <clears throat> I was thinking about this and getting ready for our time today, I have uh, I've known numerous people that have had a moral failure of some kind, whether it was stealing money from the church or something sexually. I don't know if it's more prevalent. It's obviously more discussed, but it's it's alarming. It's, it's it, it does seem to be everywhere. Yeah, but it, in my now in thirty five years of ministry, it's always been. I think the word would be. Somebody asked me the other day. Maybe it was you. Said, "Is there more? Is there corruption in the church?" 
you have to define that term. Again, my experience only, in 35 years of ministry, I've never intentionally known of anyone who came into the church as a minister or a pastor with the intention of stealing or committing a moral sin. Now, I've known many that have, because the devil's alive and real, sin is tempting. So to answer your question, I don't know if there's more than ever before, and I certainly have never known anybody that said, I'm going in the ministry to harm, steal, kill, (laughs) commit sexual sin. It does happen, though. Yeah, it does. And never to justify it, but to say there are plenty of people in ministry, maybe this is the way of saying it, I've known of or known numerous people that have failed in the ministry. I never have known anybody that walked in as a fraud, if that makes sense. You know, and I've known numerous people that either worked on the staff I served at or they've come to me after a moral failure and they feel worse than they they are failures. They have, have failed, rather, but they weren't a fraud. I think I, I wouldn't even consider them hypocrites. I'd say you're like King David. You had a terrible moral failure in your life. Of course, a thousand years later, Jesus would say he was a man after God's own heart. As opposed to the Pharisees, he'd say, you guys are frauds. And I think sometimes we want to lump it all together and probably leads to what you're going to talk about as far as how do you restore somebody. I think one of the ways you restore somebody is if you're the person who's trying to restore somebody back to health and ministry, you have to ask the question, is, it, is this person a fraud here? And I'm, I'm going to have nothing to do with them. Or have they had a moral failure with the desire to repent and be restored? Well, I think you handle those totally differently as well. Yeah, well, and I think you make a great distinction between a fraud and a failure. A fraud obviously being somebody that is intentionally, willfully, maybe Mm -hmm. even beforehand going into a situation with an intention of doing wrong. And as you said, a failure is simply nothing more than just a mistake. And, And of course, I've been in ministry a long time as well, and and. Matter of fact, I contacted a, a, a guy that I know that experienced a moral failure. And of course, sure, sure. and of course, let me just back up and say, Jerry and I by no means are throwing stones at anybody by any stretch. And Jerry and I both know when we've talked about this, by the grace of God, we, we haven't experienced this in our personal life, but we know we're not above it. And we know the scripture says that anybody who thinks they're above something better take heed because they're most likely the next person to fail. So today's podcast is by no means looking at throwing at stones at anybody the, the church already does good enough at bearing and shooting at their wounded. But, but I do love the, the distinction because the, the difference in a fraud and a failure to me goes back to motive. And I mm-hmm. think you make an important point too, about maybe it really isn't more prevalent, but maybe it seems that way simply because of, as you mentioned, the ability to disseminate information because of technology. Now with social media, and back in the day, you know, you had the news at 5 o'clock or 10 o'clock, and that's all you had. But you look at really, I mean, just even this year, I think about there was a podcast, I won't mention his name, but a very well-known, Jerry, I know you know what I'm talking about, extremely well-known preacher out of the Midwest, and a podcast came out about him and his ministry, and it was one of the most popular podcasts that have been on this year, just kind of talking a lot of people felt like he abused his leadership position, eventually was, was left the church that he started in the, in the Washington area and is now kind of the outskirts of ministry. I think also about Discovery, not long ago, did an expose on the Hillsong Church. Did you watch that, Jerry, by chance? I've seen bits and pieces of it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just devastating to see what, what's happened there and some of the, the failures and the leadership resigning and how it's affected Hillsong. Again, you have a story that even I mentioned today. So, And then on top of that, and Jerry, you and I have talked about this, um, even in the Southern Baptist Convention, this report that came out. So when you look at this podcast, when you look at the, the series that Discovery did, when you look at this expose, I guess, or this report that came out exposing some, in some cases, sweeping under the rug, some really not serious mistakes or failures, but really crimes, mm-hmm. um, and, 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 and the truth of the matter is, you know, people will say, well, the problem is that we have our eyes on people and we need to have our eyes on Christ. And that's real easy to say, but the reality is, is that while, yeah, we should have our eyes on Christ, we can't help but look to leadership because that's what leadership does. There are people in positions of authority 
where we look to them. We look to them for guidance and we look to them for wisdom. So even though that's a true statement, I don't know how realistic it is to be able to not be hurt or let down by leadership positions. Yeah, and the New Testament makes it very clear for those who assume the role of some kind of a pastoral role, and there's numerous pastoral roles in a church, well, there's a higher standard than for everybody else. There's no question. First Timothy 3, 2, Titus says if for that, James 1 says, don't be eager to assume that role of leader. You'll be held to a higher standard. And I, I believe that's not just God's higher standard. That's man's higher standard. A person should be very, uh, even cautious, careful going into that pastoral ministry role because the New Testament holds them to a higher standard. And so, and partly because, you know, those who follow someone spiritually, it's natural and normal to expect more of them. You're, you're following them. Our leaders got to be above the follower. And so there's, there's, it, it's part of the, those of us who have been in ministry assume that responsibility. And if there is a failure in that person's life, you have to assume the consequences of it because it is natural and normal to, and the New Testament calls a, a pastor to a higher standard. And, uh, and, and I think sometimes uh, those in ministry have forgotten that. Because we want to correctly state that all Christians are in the ministry. That is a fact. That's a Second Corinthians fact. But that does not mean all Christians are in the pastoral ministry. And there's a distinction in the New Testament. Apostle Paul made the distinction. He would say, he would use the pronouns us and you are talking about he and his pastoral staff. And you as the congregation are those in the, the, the pew, so to speak. And so there's, there's clearly a distinction in the New Testament, and everybody has to assume. And there's really nothing, in some ways, more tragic for the body of Christ, for the kingdom, for the church, than when a leader has a clear violation of the New Testament pastoral standard. It's, just, it's what it is. Now, that being said, it goes back to, well, was this person a, a failure who can be restored back to ministry? Or is this a person a fraud who should be exposed and say, this person should never be back in the ministry? That's where wisdom dictates what kind of person this was. But there's nothing more tragic in many ways than than a leader who has abused that position and really, really morally failed, stolen money, you know, sexually done something. That's a tragic, it's right? A tragedy. Well, and, and I, I appreciate what you said because obviously the scripture teaches this that to whom much is given, much is required. And so the greater the position of leadership, mm-hmm. the more accountability that goes with it. But I also mm-hmm. like what you said about, and I think it's an important point, and I don't want to dovetail too far off on this, but I do think it's an important point. You said that all Christians are in ministry. And 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 even though that's not about today's podcast, I think it's an important point. I know there have been seasons in my life where people have said to me, well, you know, Jay, you're a preacher, so... Therefore, while I, I should be able to do blank, you shouldn't be able to do it. And and there, as you said, there is a distinction. There is greater degree of accountability. But it's important that we all hold ourselves to a higher standard. It, that, yes, a person that's a pastor, an evangelist, a leader in the church, of course people are going to watch their actions. And the repercussions of them making mistakes, obviously the wake of that is certainly greater. But to look at people in positions of, of leadership and to while holding them to a high standard doesn't mean that at the same time we as believers that are lay people in the church don't need to also do some self-evaluation and make sure that we're living up to a standard. One of the things, Jerry, you and I talked about a few weeks ago, matter of fact, I remember I was on my way home. I don't, I won't mention his name, but there was a very influential man that, that we both know. And uh, matter of fact, I, I think he's a I do think he's a good man. I really do. I did a podcast with him about a year ago. He's a very influential man who... I believe with all my heart has been very effective in ministry. I believe that a lot of people's lives have been a, have been changed as a result of his ministry and his life. And there was a situation that certainly some mistakes were made. It didn't end up into a full-blown affair, but some, some lines were blurred and some lines were crossed. And again, without mentioning his name, I feel like, in my opinion, that the the, the punishment does not fit the crime. And again, we're not talking about a situation where somebody sexually abused a child or raped a child. This was more of a situation of a he said, she said situation that, again, did cross some boundaries, but but did not end up into a full-blown intercourse relationship or affair. I, I just wonder what your perspective is on that, Jerry. It seems as though, and we kind of referenced this earlier, it seems as though sometimes within the church, 
that the very people that we're called to love. I think about what Paul said in Corinthians where somebody was caught in an immoral act and, and Paul gave these recommendations about how that you, you, the goal is to restore this brother in love and to remember while you're trying to restore him that you must be cautious because you could also end up in the same predicament. I just wonder what your perspective is, somebody who's been in ministry for years, why do you think this is that the Christian community is so quick to bury their wounded, to shoot them down, as was the case with this influential leader that you and I spoke about a few weeks ago, where you and I both felt like that, I mean, he's just been completely blackballed in ministry, and it just seemed extreme. Why do you think that is? Well, human nature says, I love to make you look bad to make me look good. Some of that is just a simple thing of going, you know, I think some people glory and enjoy and bringing down the church and those who are leading. And the situation you're referring to is, yeah, we probably would all agree that I'm not sure that the, the punishment fit the crime there because all sin is not the same, and you shouldn't punish it all the same. Culture doesn't punish a traffic ticket the same way there's murder. That's only wisdom. And so there are certainly cases that there's been great overreaction to the punishment toward that pastor minister. So that's that's – that's where you and I get upset going, come on, he, you know, what he did was wrong, and there is a level of punishment, but let's don't treat him like he's a rapist here. Exactly. He's a child murderer. Or, you know, and so that's also really my personal opinion is that in the New Testament, especially all sin is not treated the same. There's different words for different levels of sin. Sure, Jesus died for all sin the same. He considers the sin of the heart as guilty as the sin of the action. That does not mean it's to be treated the same. It didn't. It didn't even come from the same heart. I steal a piece of bubble gum down the street from the convenience store, or I murder somebody. It would be a fool that says that's the same. Right. And did Jesus die for that equally? Yes, he did. Does that mean the consequences or the heart behind it's the same? No, it's not. And so, even when we see somebody who's a leader in the church fail morally, you have to consider each situation uniquely. And and sometimes. They, those outside the church who are going to judge a church want to treat it all the same. And part of the motivation there, obviously, is they want to bring down the church. Right. They're they looking want, for they something. They want to bring down the ministry. They're looking for something, and they take something, you know, I wouldn't say small, but they take something that's not, well, they make, a, they make the punishment much greater than the crime. And we would never do that in society. We know that's not right. But we do that sometimes toward those in the church. We go, oh, my goodness. And, and right now what's going on is, is those many times outside the church or those who are in competition with some church, they are looking for a reason to bring it down. Sure they are. and and But that is no way to excuse a moral failure, again, inside a leader of the church. But at the same time, there has been quite, well, you and I both know, there's some overreaction going on these days. Right, right. I mean, things that, and, and the tragedy of overreacting to something done wrong is when something is done terribly wrong, we treat it like, something that wasn't as, as, as egregious. It actually lowers the punishment for something that should be severely punished. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. and it, it's sad, and it's true. You mentioned that there are people not only, of course, we, you, we expect people outside of the church to look for more ammunition mm-hmm. for their gun, mm-hmm. to give reasons as to why faith is not legitimate or right. Christ is not right. legitimate. I get that. But what troubles me is how many people within the church, as you just mentioned, Sometimes it's a jealousy factor. We even mm-hmm. see this in the life of Jesus. When Pilate said, it was said that he recognized that the religious leaders had brought Jesus out of envy, that that's the whole reason. Mm-hmm. Pilate even knew that, even though he passed judgment on him. But again, I, I expect the outside world to do that. But what bothers me is when there are people that, that are inside Christendom who also are looking for reasons to take down the bigger church or mm-hmm. a, a more well-known minister. It's it's really it's really troubling to me, but yet it it is a truth. Well, you and I both know we've been in ministry long enough. the the first the the first battle that most of us had in ministry, especially in our twenties and thirties, was disappointment. No doubt, disappointment with people inside the church. As a pastor, as a young minister of the church, man, it was very troubling to me in my twenties and early thirties when oh I was would be heavily scrutinized, judged for 
you know, by people who I trusted as strong Christians who, man, it didn't seem to me like they were behaving that way. We've all been in that situation. But it, it's a battle. In, for those of us in ministry, your first battle is always going to be disappointment. And, and it, it may, it's going to be disappointment toward people in the church, meaning older people. It's disappointment toward maybe one of the other pastors you work for who you went, man, that guy, certainly there's a lot of flaws in him. And and then of course then that gets that gets tempered later on in life when now I'm an older leader and I promise you I've disappointed people. <laughs> I've been on both ends of that stick and you just go, Hey, you know what? In the church, all of us can have the best intentions in the world. There are gonna be people that disappoint us and that we disappoint. And uh, of course in the second battle always can be inside the church is discouragement. You know, disappointment at other people in the church later on becomes discouragement. Most guys get, you know, you know this, Jay, most guys today who are getting out of the ministry, and it is, that's also epidemic today. Uh, there's certain numbers saying upwards to a thousand men and women who are in vocational ministry per month since COVID are getting out. Wow, I didn't know that. Number one reason is not a moral failure. It's not sexual. It's not stealing. Number one reason is discouragement. And we all know that. If you've been in ministry for any bit of time, you've had to deal with a demon of disappointment and a demon of discouragement because the devil's goal is to get you out of God's work. That is the devil's goal. His goal in, for your ministry is to get you out of that thing because at some level, all of us have a little level of effectiveness, and he hates it. Now, he can get you out of the ministry through a moral failure. Most people do not get out of the ministry for moral failures. I've, I've actually known many, many people that have gotten out of the ministry, very few for moral failures. Almost every single one of them say, I can't deal with the discouragement, depression, disappointments, the attacks. They get out for that reason. Well, That's a fact. Man, I, I wish our listeners could, could see the, the smile on my face just because, and Jerry and I didn't talk about this before today's podcast, but Jerry just told just opened my book. I mean, and, and what you said, Jerry, is so true. I think about my early days, my initial disappointment was with church people because when I got saved, I thought everybody was going to be behind me and in my corner. Mm-hmm. And I found that the people that I left at the Rock Inn Bar on Scott Street after I got saved I would run into them and say, man, Jay, you know, I heard about you, man. I wish you the best. And then there were people inside the church, especially when God started opening doors in my life, that were like, well, he, he, he hasn't been to Bible college and he hasn't been a Christian very long. And why is he getting to go speak here? And why is he getting to go speak there? And why is God seeming to do things in his life? And it seemed odd that some of the most encouragement that I received was from people who actually were non-believers. And so Mm -hmm. this first thing that you mentioned, disappointment was there. And then the second thing, discouragement. I mean, you hit the nail on the head, man. I went to work for a ministry and and I saw some things there that that, that 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 bothered me. And then I found that sometimes I didn't feel I was as effective as I wanted to be. And there was always plenty of people who, we called them the cold water committee back in those days. Just people that would discourage you or always finding fault. It was nothing major, just little things. But man, you just you just read my book there. And, and I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I also know a lot of people over the years that have left ministry. Obviously, I know people that have left for both reasons. Matter of fact, I remember, you know, talking about moral failures and 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 different reasons that people do leave ministry. There was a time when I there was a guy that that I traveled with, and I'm I'm not saying it's the most appropriate way to refer to women by any stretch, but I understood the point he was making. And he said, Jay, you're new in ministry, so there's two things you gotta watch out for. He said it's chicks and checks. And obviously he wasn't trying to be derogatory towards women. He was just trying to make a point that of his years in ministry where he saw the most common failure was a man who got things out of a line uh, sexually with, with, a, with a woman or a man who got too focused on money. Of course, I would add a third one after being in ministry for years, and I think it's, it, it's, it's sexual temptation, money temptation, and I think the third one's pride. But, man, I, I love what you said because it is true, and that's not just for people in ministry. I mean, there's people listening to this podcast today, Jerry, that they used to go to church, and they don't go anymore because 
they felt that they were betrayed or maybe there was some issue within the church or maybe their pastor left or, or maybe their youth minister was not who he said he was supposed to be. And they said, you know what? They're all a bunch of hypocrites. And I'm not, I mean, I've met multitudes of people like that, Jerry, and I, I know you have as well. Well, and, and I would go back and say the same thing that's true for people in the ministry is true for people, the congregants, is the devil wants them out. Those in the ministry, the devil wants you out of the ministry because you can be effective. The person in the congregation, he wants that. Per- he wants you out of the church. So, and I would tell you, my experience, and in, 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 in our church, I, I, li- I oversee a staff of, you know, more than a dozen pastors and another 50, 60 folks. No question, the biggest battle is disappointment. I would actually add a D, if you will. It's disappointment, discouragement, depression. There's no question. Again, it's to me, our experience has been, it's rare, although it does happen, a moral failure. In, in, in every church I've been in, there's been a moral failure from a pastor, either stealing money or doing something sexually wrong. But the real day-to-day battle is typically not that because the people I've experienced in 35 years of ministry are above, for the most part, sexual failures and money failures, but they are not above being disappointed, being discouraged, being depressed, and that's when they go, I've got to get away from this. It happens all the time. And I think it happens the same thing to people in the church. Man, I'm just so disappointed with the way my church is doing things or the leadership didn't, they weren't up to my standard, and, and I'm just so discouraged around here, nobody's encouraging me. Well, the devil uses all that over time. They're like, I'm out of this place. And, yeah, yeah that that's, I, I, you know, we, we talk about <clears> – <throat> These matters, and I, I, can, I just think that so much of these things, even talking about, man, all these things that are happening at churches, well, they're disappointing to you. Well, a lot of people can't rise above that and go, okay, it is disappointing, and it is discouraging, and I'm depressed about it, but we're going to rise above this. You know, the church is still going to be the church, and I'm still going to walk with the Lord and serve Him. You know, my, my story is I got saved at 15 years old, and the heroes in my life were my youth pastor and my senior pastor and a seminary student in Fort Worth where I was who discipled me. I got called to ministry at 16 years old, and my only vision of ministers were those three people. Well, it was stunning to me when I'm 23, 24, 25, starting out ministry, when the people I'm working around staff at the churches, at least in my viewpoint, they were not like those men. It's hard to take. It's very disappointing. It's incredibly disappointing. You've heard me say this, and this is just my phrase, and it could be wrong, but my experience of 35 years of ministry is the best people and maybe the worst people I've ever met in my life are both in the ministry. It breeds that. And so we just have to accept that and say, I hope I'm not, I hope I'm never someone's worst person they know in the ministry. I hope I am someone's, if you will, best person they know. But you're, what you said a while ago is very true, that any of us can fail. I know people a lot better than me spiritually or in ministry that have failed in some way. And I promise you there's people in 35 years of ministry that could walk up to me and say, Jerry Royal, you're probably with a disappointment to me or to my kid. And I'd be going, I'm so sorry. I never intended that. Matter of fact, it breaks my heart to hear that. But I promise you those kind of people. So it's going to happen. Right. It's going to happen. It's like a family. You know what? One day my kids are going to be in counseling going, I know mom and dad tried hard, but you know, they really disappointed me. And I'd say, you know what? You are correct. And uh, But I never intended to. Right. And I think that's it. Now, if I intended to, that's different. That's different, yeah. Motive. That's different. Yeah. If I hurt my kid and I intended to, I beat him or did something, I should be in jail. <laughs> but if I unintentionally just hurt their heart because I was disappointed in them, that's different. Same thing in the church. There is definitely going to be times that I go, man, I bet you I did disappoint that family or that person. Or, you know, they saw me get angry. They saw me and my wife in an argument at Walmart. You know, they, man, my kids don't walk on water like they thought they would, you know. And that's just going to happen. And, that, and we have to accept that reality in, in life and ministry. Again, that's different. That's not somebody that's out there, you know, intentionally harming someone in the church or the church's whole that's definitely, but all of us are failures at some level. No doubt. We, we are. We yeah. are. And I, I think the whole premise is, like you said, it's a, it's a matter of something being willful or not. Yeah. And like you, I mean, obviously, as long as I've been in ministry, I'm sure there are people that would say the biggest turnoff to Jesus I've ever met 
is Jay Louder. And I, I hate that. And I, sure. obviously I'm trying sure. to do everything I can. I certainly make a lot of mistakes, but I'm trying to be a good example. And, and, and obviously there's days I fail. Matter of fact, it reminds me a few years ago, quite a few years ago at that time. Matter of fact, we just had two kids, but that's back in the day, Jerry, when Walmart had greeters. And so there was this older guy. We always went late at night, to be honest with you, mostly because we were broke and we didn't have anything else to do. We'd go to Walmart late at night. But there was this older gentleman who was a greeter who checked your receipt when you walked out the door. And I'd seen this guy over a time span of about two years, maybe longer. And so one day, and you know, the truth of it is my kids were young. And I mean, there's times that I'm sure there were beatings that took place at Walmart late at night. And I'm sure there were times that I was frustrated. And, and anyway, we were walking out one night and the guy checked my receipt and he said, have a good night, Jay. Well, oh, he'd yeah. never called me oh, by yeah. my name ever. And so I turned around and I said, excuse me. He said, Jay, I was just telling you to have a good night. And I said, how do you know my name? Right. He said, oh, Jay, I know who you are. And he said, I've seen you on TV. I, I know you're a preacher. I said, man, we've been walking out this door for, we've been seeing you for two or three years, man. Why did, why have you never spoken before and told me you knew who I was? And this is what he said, Jerry, I'll never forget it. He said, because I didn't want you to know, because I wanted to see if you were the real deal. Mm-hmm. And man, I'm telling you, it made my skin crawl. You know, I, 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 I told Missy when we were walking out the door, I said, man, I, you know, who knows? I, I hope I've been a good example, but I'm sure there were nights I was in a bad mood and was gruff when I walked out the door. There may have been nights I was fussing at the kids, and but it was just a reminder of what we're talking about is, Jay, you're not never going to be perfect. You're never going to be sinless, but do everything you possibly can not to be somebody's dis- disappointment, not to be somebody else's reason to discount Christ or your faith or for somebody to say, I don't want anything to do with Jesus because I met Jay Louder. Again, I'm sure there are people, regrettably, that can say that about me. But, man, God knows my heart. And we've talked about this. You and I, are not. we, we both know that we are men who can make mistakes. We, we're, we're not looking down on anybody. Matter of fact, every single pastor that I've ever known that's fallen due to a moral failure, every one of them, I personally called them, not to lecture them, not to quote verses to them, just to say, man, I love you and I'm praying for you. Not to get details on what happened. And I, and I think that's our responsibility. And you mentioned something too, Jerry, about you didn't go into detail, but I, I think it's important. And I think that listeners need to realize this. While it's very easy to criticize when a leader falls, it's also important to remember that while you might think that a person in a leadership position like Jerry doesn't have troubles, Jerry would probably be the first to tell you he might have more troubles than you do because the enemy seeks after people like Jerry, people in leadership positions, because if he can tear Jerry down, the the the, the collateral damage of that is significant. So sometimes people in leadership positions fall because they're under a greater degree of, of duress from the forces of darkness. And I think I think that's important to remember. Well, yeah, if you know the scripture, that's there's no question. I mean, the the enemy only has so many forces. Well, he's going to put them in on the most effective people. If I'm going to war with you, I, I want to kill the general more than I want to kill the private. Absolutely. And that's just a fact. Yeah. I can scatter the private so I, if I can kill the lead. And, and you, you know, the, 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 it made me think about this when we were talking a while ago that I relate so much to family, my other, my other, but so much of my ministry through the years has been to, to parents and to families. I'll tell you something we've always told our kids. I have four kids, 12 to 24. I said, Your mom and dad are not phonies. Meaning, we love Jesus. We're not putting on here. We love Jesus. Not because I'm in the ministry, but because I'm, we're Christians. We're not phonies. We love Jesus, but we're not perfect. We're going to fail. My kids have been able to accept that. Now, if we're phonies, if I'm faking our love for Jesus because of my job at church, kids will smell that a mile away. That's right. You talk about disappointment. But my kids can handle the fact that mom and dad fight and argue and, and <laughs> dad gets angry, and but they can't handle if they did. But at the end of the day, my kids go, those people love Jesus. Right. I'm doing this for a job. You know, the miracle, <laughs> this is this came to me, Jay, the miracle in, in our homes is, in my case, that my wife lives with me, the pastor, and she still loves Jesus. 
<laughs> Amen to that. Amen to that, brother. You know, you know, she knows my flaws and failures and goes, you know, you're my husband. You are a pastor at my church, and I, I am following your leadership spiritually, but you ain't perfect, brother. And so uh, I couldn't handle that pressure at home. But but I do love Jesus, and they know that. I'll tell you something interesting, Jay. I've, I've known several people that I've, I've walked through their moral failure with. I walked through the moral failure with them because, number one, I knew they did love Jesus. They're not a fraud. They're a failure. And now let's see if we can work, help you work through your failure to have a, a ministry one day. And, and they do. Now, if, if, I, if I feel like a guy's a fraud and he's faking this stuff, I'm not meeting with him. I'm like, dude, you just got exposed all happened to you. And you shouldn't be <clears throat> near the ministry. But if there's men, and they, in my case, the guys that we've helped through, I said, I, I'm going to trust your heart that you love Jesus, you're called to ministry, you had a failure. Matter of fact, some of the guys you and I have talked about recently, we go, I promise that guy loves the Lord. No doubt. And I promise you that man or woman and has a deep calling in their life, the devil took him out because he wants him out of the ministry. Now, I think in those cases, if possible, if, if something's not been done criminally, now let, let's, let's, let's distinguish. If someone's done something criminally while in the ministry. A whole other ball game. It's a whole other ball game. You should be out the rest of your life. You should never be back. If you've done something to a child or to a teenager, anything criminal, a felon, you're out, brother. I agree. You have. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about somebody who's made a, a sinful decision that's cost them a particular ministry, but who God has a calling on their life and they want to be restored. There is certainly a possibility for that person. Probably not in that same church or ministry, but somewhere else down the road. If their heart is, you can determine they do love Jesus they have a calling on their life. God has used them, and their life's not over because of their failure. That person, I think that's the Galatians thing. Where we have responsibility. You mentioned Paul. That's that's out of Galatians 1. Paul's saying we have responsibility to that brother to restore them, being cautious of yourself. Don't get prideful and go, well, I'd never do this, so let me help you because you'll fall in the same pit. But I'm talking about somebody who you can restore over time. I think we have responsibility to restore that person. Every situation is differently. Again, we're not talking about criminal stuff there. Criminals should go to prison for their crime. We're talking about somebody that we can restore. I think we have a responsibility to that. Yeah, I agree. And I love what you said in, in regards to your kids, that they see your flaws. They know that dad can be gripey or rude or whatever the case may be, but dad loves Jesus. And matter of fact, every single person that's ever been on staff here at the ministry, that's it, what I thought about immediately because I tell Every single person before they get hired, I said, listen, I, I want to be clear up here. This is not a group of people, and our staff usually ranges somewhere between four and eight people in-house and another three that are on staff between Houston, Georgia, and another state. And I always tell them, listen, we love the Lord here. Everybody loves the Lord here. But but if if you're given the opportunity to come join this team don't have an expectation that everybody around here is perfect, that everybody around here has it all together. We have family issues. We have money issues at times. We have kid issues at times. We have personal issues at times. So if you're coming here thinking that everybody here is just not going to make mistakes and it's just going to be a gravy train and everything's going to be perfect, don't come to work here because right. we are flawed people. We're trying to walk with the Lord. And, I, you know, you said something earlier, Jerry, that's true. At some level, we're all hypocrites. There is some inconsistency in our life that I think all of us are working on at some point. We're not talking about somebody living a mirage. We're not talking about being a poser or being a complete phony or fake. But there's all areas of our lives that we're trying to work on, that we're trying to improve, that people might say, well, gosh, Jay says one thing, but he, he sure hasn't gotten as far as he'd like to be. Well, absolutely. I'll be honest with you. This is my personal understanding of Scripture. The people that Jesus called hypocrites were not believers in him. I agree. Uh, th those are people who had rejected him, and they were trying to pretend to be something to the people. You and I fail. That doesn't make us hypocrite. I'm not a hypocrite. You're not a hypocrite. You believe in Jesus. Your heart is pure toward him. You fail. And so <clears throat> I think sometimes we way overuse the word hypocrite. I think you make a great point. And, and I, you know, I've never heard it put that way because at times I do feel like a hypocrite. But sure. I, I think you sure. make a great point that, Technically, we're not hypocrites. We're just we're believers who are flawed, exactly. who are trying to to walk the holy life. But sometimes we just we just fail. But as a pastor, if you do violate the New Testament standards for that pastoral role, 
that's also a different matter. No doubt. No doubt. Because and you're not saying, saying too, I no. know when you talk about restoring somebody, you're not talking about somebody that gets caught in a moral failure and they take off a week and they're back in the pulpit. No, I know no, you're no, not no, saying no. there is a time yes. of healing, accountability. There's a time of, of, of submitting to leadership and seeing what they feel are the next steps. And even as you said, oftentimes it's not in the same church. So it's not just, okay, well, hey, I'm sorry and let's move on. Well, you've lost the trust of, of that church, that ministry to such a level doesn't mean your entire life of ministry is over, but it's over there. And that was, that's always been our approach in a church or ministry is that we love your brother, and we're going to help get you restored to another place of ministry, but not here. And I will say this, Jerry, this is something I love about you. I remember back in the early days when I came to Christ, if somebody made any mistake in ministry, and again, we're not talking about something criminal, but we're talking about if somebody, whatever, they, they did something that wasn't criminal but made a mistake, mm-hmm. Back in those days, you were done for. You would right, never, right. ever have another opportunity to be involved, engaged in ministry at any level. And one of the things I love about you, and obviously we're not going to go into any detail here, but I just know over the years there have been different people that at one time a lot of churches would have just written off and never given a second opportunity where you and the leadership that you serve with have said about different individuals hey, I know this has been an issue in the past. I know there's been a struggle. We love you. We believe in you and want to give you a second chance. And man, I truly believe that's New New Testament Christianity. I so respect that rather than kicking people to the curb, you have a history. And not only that, I mean, I know people that have personally been underneath your ministry that you poured into their life that have, again, slipped and fall, mm-hmm. fallen, not intentionally, and I've never known you to throw stones at anybody. I've never known you to kick anybody to the curb. You've always been the guy, and I've known you a long time. I've never known you to do that to anybody other than to reach out them and love them and try to restore them. Well, and I just wish to God there were more people like you that did that. Well, I appreciate it. It's two, there's, there's two sides to every coin in the sense of something can be wrong, and we're going to call it sin and a wrong in your life, and there's consequences to pay at the same time there's hope for you. That didn't, I didn't say that well. There's always a tension in every situation in there. No doubt. Every situation is not as easy as it comes across. It's not just, oh, this is just black and white. No. In the scripture, there's always a tension in there between two matters that seem to be very opposite. Jesus is both man and God. God's word is both written by God and man. Which is it? It's both. God of love and a God of wrath. It's both. We would we love in our culture to make things so easy. And go, well, this is the this is what it is. No, not necessarily. Someone failed morally, and they're going to pay a price for that. Doesn't mean that their life of ministry is over. Let's see if there's possible chance for restoration here and a new place in a new ministry. Again, I I think it's uh, and if there's not, and, and I'll tell you this. You show grace to some people sometimes, you'll get burned. No doubt. You will get burned. And you'll have to pay a price for it going, we gave this person another opportunity or second chance. And and our culture doesn't want to sometimes, as tolerant as they, they want to act like they are, they're not tolerant in there as much as they say. We give somebody a second chance and they fail a second time, the egg's on our face. Right. It's happened to me several times where I wanted to believe in somebody and I thought they were restored and, and I vouched for their name or or put him in a position and got burned twice. Well, I bet you don't regret it though, because wouldn't you rather err on the side of mercy and grace? Absolutely. Yeah, man. It's it's like, it's like giving, I mean, might be a bad analogy. It's like giving the homeless guy $20 in the street. And I find out later on, he he used on drugs. I asked him to go buy a burger and fries with it. Well, he took me. Right. But you know what? I'd rather err on the side of giving that guy 20 bucks, hoping he'll do the right thing. than well, he took me on drugs. It's the same way when you're talking about restoring somebody to ministry or restoring somebody to any area of life. I mean, what I typically deal with much, much more than this subject would be a man and a woman in a church are married and one of them had an affair, but they want to work out their marriage. Well, I work, we'll work very hard with that person. It, half the time it doesn't work out. Half the time it does. But I'll, we'll give somebody hours and hours and hours of, of, of a restoration to see if that marriage can be restored. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I go, I spent a lot of time and energy in that person, and it didn't work. Why did I do that? Well, it's ministry, brother. That's what I tell you. It, if that Jerry, makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Is there? And I know earlier in the podcast, uh, matter of fact, I was gonna I was gonna take notes, but 
you were talking about this process of restoration, and I didn't feel like you had a chance to complete it. I mean, not not to say that you have a formula or something, but I mean, are, are there some steps that, I mean, you've counseled a lot of people over the years. You and your wife are extremely effective in teaching families how to raise kids. Uh, I, I just wondered if you had any maybe recommendations or some things, maybe like a process by which you try to approach helping people in that restoration, whether it's a husband and a wife or whether it's a person in ministry or whether it's a, a relationship between a mom and dad and a kid. Is there, is there something there that, that you found to be extremely helpful? It's a great question. I mean, number one is they have to want to be helped. You never help somebody that doesn't want to be helped. So they have to come with you in a spirit of humility, whether it's a fallen minister or, uh, like you said, a, a marriage that's had some terrible problems. They have to come to you and say, we want help. Whatever you say, we're going to follow. That's a, that's a big part of it. Somebody has to be broken to the point of wanting help. Otherwise, you're just wasting you're your time. You're wasting really. your time. There, you, you kind of become that person who's you're feeding your pearls to swine, if you will. But if they come to you with a broken spirit, God's already done a work in their heart and say, I, I want my marriage restored. I want my ministry restored. I want my relationship with my adult child restored. Well, that's first base. After that, you've got to have a lot of truthful talks. They've got to be willing to make some big changes. And even after they have come to you and even after they've been very honest, even after they've received all your direction instruction, it still may not work. And we have to go into it going, we're going to do our best. It still may not work. It's part of that process outside of obviously them wanting help and the communication that's got to take place. Is, is part of that also setting definitive boundaries? Yeah, well, several things. Number one, whatever y'all have done is going to stop 100%. You never can go backwards again. If a man comes to me and says, man, I have struggled, I have a pornography addiction. Well, step one, you've come to admit it. Now, I need to know, we're not, we're not going backwards. You're dying to this. And then let's try to restore it you now over time. Well, that person has to be willing to make a lot of changes. I mean, everybody wants an easy answer. When somebody has really fallen whether it's a marriage or a ministry, it doesn't come back in a day or two. It's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of work. Those people that I've mentioned even vaguely today who've been restored to ministry, it's been a year or two process. Yeah, It's been a long time of change. It's a radical change of life. That family, that, that, that husband or wife who had an affair, and they've either confessed or been caught, typically they've been caught, well, they need to know this is going to be radical changes to your life if you want to restore this marriage. It's not going to be near as easy. There's not a pill for it. There's not a weak fix. It's going to be radical changes, a lot of hard work. Your life's going to look different, and you may not want to do that. Well, this goes to actually, you won't remember this, but I was doing a youth camp for you one time, and you said something to me. You won't, you won't even remember this. I remember exactly where I was standing. I remember exactly what city I was in, and I remember standing in the hallway. And I don't remember what instigated this conversation, but you made this statement to me, and I've, I've since made it to a lot of people, and you said this. You said, it takes years to build credibility and reputation, and it takes one decision to ruin all of it. And I'd never heard anybody say that. And it just so resonated with me that you can be faithful in marriage or ministry or work for years and years and years, and you can have credibility and you can have leverage and you can have respect and you can make one stupid decision and throw it all away. And you, you weren't telling me this, trying to make some huge point. I mean, it was just something that you just kind of, for whatever reason, kind of rolled off your tongue in the middle of a, a conversation and I didn't say anything to you about it at the time. I'm sure you walked away, and if somebody would have told you that you just made a statement to Jay that he'll never forget, you probably would have said, you're crazy. But yeah. it was just one of those things that resonated with me that I thought, man, I want to I want to do everything I can. I know I'm not bulletproof. I know I'm not invincible, but I want to do everything I can to protect the integrity that I'm so trying to build yeah. in ministry. That statement scares me to death. And I'm almost positive it's not original with me. I believe I first heard that years ago from Steve Farrar, the, the man that wrote the old Point Man book and great mm -hmm. men speaker just passed away. I, I do know this. About 10 years ago, I was at a men's conference. And I'll never forget this statement from Steve Farrar. He stands up and says, I don't remember the context, but he said, men, I have a new life purpose statement. 
he's probably 60, 65 at the time, been in ministry in a very effective ministry. He said, my life purpose is not to screw up. I thought, <laughs> Simple. I thought, man, that is so true. And he was saying that in light of many guys he had known in ministry that had screwed up more yeah. or whatever. And he just said, and he has a ministry at the time, if it's passing, you know, to millions of people. Books have been read, is speaking. And to all account, he ended up very, very well. And so what we're all saying is, is here is that I want to finish the race well. And it's a phenomenal challenge. Well, the I, devil wants to take us out, brother. I think, I think man, that's a, a good way to finish the podcast today is that God's will, it's, it's not just for people in ministry. It's for your marriage. It's for your career. It's for your kids. God wants us to finish well. And, you know, it's easy to get focused on what other people are doing or get our eyes on other folks. And we do expect a lot from our leadership, but at the end of the day, man, the Lord's not going to let us down. And there's going to be discouragement, as Jerry talked about. There may even be depression that, that may come with it. But it's like my mentor told me, the man that helped disciple me, said, God always rewards faithfulness. And maybe you're somebody today listening to podcasts and you're going, golly, man, you know, I, I, I I feel so discouraged because I am that person who made mistakes. I'm the person that tripped up. You may even be a person that says, matter of fact, I'm not there now, but even when I did it, it wasn't accidental. It it was willful. I was so far away from God that I intentionally was doing wrong. Hey, listen, the moral of the story today is, is there is mercy. There is grace. You've heard Jerry say it. You know, God's will is always restoration and God's will is healing. And matter of fact, the scripture tells us that God heals the brokenhearted and he binds their wounds. And so, you know, you may be a person today that says, man, I've made a lot of mistakes and I'm having struggles in my family, my career, my job, my ministry. Hey, listen, God wants you to finish strong and, and he wants you to lean on in and help him do that. And if you're the person that says, well, hey, you know what? That's not me. I mean, what you and Jerry are talking about, I've not made those mistakes. Well, praise God for, for that but also be on guard and recognize that the enemy is always prowling around looking for people that, that he can devour. Jerry, man, it's, it's always great. Yeah, when, we were gonna, when we were looking at topics that we were going to do for a podcast, when I saw this one, I'm like, Jerry would be great for this. And, man, I appreciate your time. I know you've got a lot going on and for you to slip away from the office and come over here today and join me for this. And quite frankly, I was just thinking a while ago when I was hearing you talk about some of these different steps that you've encouraged people to take, you know, maybe, maybe you can talk to Mary and we can talk Mary. I'd love to have you and Mary both come in one day. There's a lot of people that are struggling with raising their kids. And I know you've got an armada of information that we could do 10 podcasts on that, but man, it'd be great if, if you could maybe talk to Mary. I'm, I'm sure our listeners would love because Many of us are, are are having struggles with kids and would love to hear some of your wisdom and insight. Obviously, I've heard it. It's phenomenal stuff. I mean, every time we know that you're teaching at the church, man, we're taking notes and writing down details. You've got an incredible track record, not only with your own family, but helping so many other families. So hopefully in the future, maybe in this this winter when my schedule slows down, maybe we can get Mary to come in as well. And, well and, and she's we better do. at this than me, and I'd be honored to, for us to come back. I'm honored today because we love you and love your ministry and, 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 and big believers and what your ministry through the years and love what you do. Honor it. Well, man, thanks. We love you, buddy, and we appreciate you joining us on Taboo Talk with Jay Louder.